I'm teaching the young people from this passage of scripture um, in the mornings, at least the primaries and the juniors, two different, uh, two different age groups. And we're walking through the spiritual battle that we are facing. And um, that spiritual battle becomes very prevalent in Paul's latter portion of the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says in verse 10 of chapter 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand or withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation or the readiness of the gospel of peace. And above all, over all of this, take the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And really, the sentence goes on one more verse and says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Then there's Paul's period. He likes to have some run on sentences. And just thinking about that this evening, we got the backdrop here of the castle. Uh, we got the dragons flying over our head. Um, we've got uh, we, we've had the young people come in and sing some songs that are talking about the armor that God has given us. And I just want to remind you, we are fighting a spiritual battle. And as I told the young people this week, it's a battle that we can't see because it is spiritual. We can't necessarily see it physically with our eyes. It's a spiritual battle. And if you remember, um, Elijah's, I believe, Elisha's servant in 2 Kings, um, when the Syrian army had surrounded Elisha in his tent, and the servant came in and said, Elisha, the, the Syrians are, are surrounded, and, and there's, there's more with them than there are with us, and, and, and we don't know what we're going to do. And you remember, uh, Elisha gave him the promise and said, no, um, we're on the bigger side because God is protecting us. God is with us. You see, Elisha saw with faith what the servant couldn't see. He was looking only with his physical eyes. And then Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, would you open the eyes of the servant? And when he opened his eyes, the Lord opened his eyes. His eyes physically were open. He could look around. He could see the soldiers. He, he saw the mountains. He saw the trees. But when God opened his eyes spiritually, he looked and on the hill, the scripture said, oh, the host of heaven was arrayed around the, the army and, and the horses and the flaming swords. And he saw with his spiritual eyes a battle that was going on, that was raging. An army, a military that was happening at that moment that he couldn't see with his physical eyes. And that just gives us an Old Testament example of a spiritual battle that is very much taking place in our world today. And you may not see it, but even right now, 
in, in our auditorium. There's a spiritual battle that is happening. We have an enemy, Paul said here in this verse, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness that hides out in high places. We do have an enemy. And that enemy is described for us several times in, in the scriptures. Uh, he's given um, some animal characteristics. If anything, we learned it with some of the young people we've been learning about the devil. He's talked about in Peter as a lion. He's compared to a lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour. We know, as we heard about this morning in Genesis chapter 3, he comes in the form of a serpent who is subtle, crafty, and sneaky. His, his schemes, his, um, his tactics are that of deception and lies to deceive, to attack the truth and the opposition of the truth. And then we also know in the book of Revelation, he is called the dragon, that old ancient serpent, that dragon that is characterized, I believe, in chapter 12 as, as being that ancient serpent, that dragon that has constantly been against God's people and the truth. Um, he's given names throughout the scripture. He's called the murderer. He's called a liar. He's, um, he, he, he brings deception. He has in this passage, he's called uh, the devil. Um, the devil is, is, is the accuser, Satan. The one who is the adversary, the one who opposes, who sets himself against. Well, who is he against? He's against God. He's against the truth. He's against all that is holy. He's against God's people. He's against the church. He's against the word of God. That's why there is an active attempt of, uh, uh, if you look, you can see the evidences of the spiritual battle throughout all the realm of, 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 of uh, America and even politics. You can see it in the media. You can, you can see it in, in all kinds of areas in, in entertainment because the devil is real and he has infiltrated in those areas with the attack upon the truth of God's word. It is very active. And as we see this, um, the Apostle Paul wants the believers to understand that we need to be strong. We need to be strong in the power of his might and rely upon the Lord. If we do it in our own strength, there's no way that we're going to be able to conquer the devil. It is only through the power, the word of God. And the power that he gives us through the armor of God in, chapter, uh, in verse 11. Where he tells us to put on the whole armor of God. So that we are able to stand. He mentions it again in verse 13. We, we need to withstand in the evil day. Even when we've done all to stand. When you don't have any more to stand. Keep standing. Because it is an evil day. And then verse 14 tells us to stand and then the different pieces of equipment that are mentioned here. I would challenge you maybe this week in your devotions, go through some of this. The young people are going through this. They're learning some of the lessons. Maybe it would be good for you to open the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and just read through to verses 10 again down to verse 19 and see uh, this spiritual equipment. We're fighting a spiritual battle. We don't need physical armor. We need spiritual armor. And, and Paul intermingles some, some metaphors here when he sees a Roman soldier in the, the equipment. And he says, hey, just like the, the equipment that a soldier would wear for a physical fight, we need equipment. God has given us equipment in a spiritual way. So this equipment is, is spiritual in nature. Truth, 
the gospel of peace, righteousness, faith, um, salvation, the word of God, prayer. All of those are pieces of equipment that we can use. That, I believe, is connected to a certain part of the body that helps us to understand how we are to use that, um, that, that piece of equipment in our life. And so, want any more of information, you'll have to get the, the tapes for the kids' program because I won't, I won't do all that to you. Turn over in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 is, um, is where we are on Wednesday night. We're actually studying through um, the fruit of the Spirit. And what we're doing is on Wednesdays, we're taking each one of these pieces of fruit and uh, we're seeing them, how they are supposed to be displayed in our life. We uh, brought an illustration of the fact that when we are born into the family of God, we have a, um, we have a DNA that comes into our, into our new bloodstream and we are a new creature because of that DNA that is after Christ. Now Christ lives into the life of the believer and he produces fruit out of the life of the believer. These works, these, these, um, these characteristics, these virtues out of our life that ought to, to come out as we live our life. We ought to reflect who we are from, of our Heavenly Father, if you know Christ as your Savior. And these fruit are not all that simple to bear. They're much more difficult if you, if you actually think about it. We talked about the first three of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. I think I said six. It's on six on my page, but it's just before chapter six in verse 22 of chapter five. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Those are the first three. They're grouped into threes, three groups of three. Love, joy, and peace. And then the next group of threes come in. These are demonstrative fruit. These are fruits that must be acted out. You see, love, joy, and peace can be done all by yourself in your, in your room where, where you are a, a peace with God, a joy with God. These are more relational with God, a love of God and a love to God and a love that is shown to others. Yes, we know that. But when it comes to long-suffering, that is being patient with irritable people or irritating people. We talked about that last week. When someone is pushing your buttons... Long-suffering, the very opposite of a short temper, a long temper. The ability to bear with someone when they are irritating you or um, offending you or accusing you or opposing you because that is how God is with us. He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That characteristic of long-suffering comes out in God. He waits and waits. He is so patient with us, even when we do not deserve it. Even when we are against Him, He still shows His long-suffering. The next here is translated in the King James here as the word gentleness. Gentleness. I was watching some of the kids uh, not too long ago play in, in the park. Our, our family was at the, the public park, and we were there. I've got four kids. 
um, and we were all playing around at the park, and you kind of just notice, you know, you, um, you, you just kind of follow around. I think it was one of those parks that had the, had the fence in and had the wooden, th- uh, you know, maze that they go in. But the problem is, you know, parents, it just scares us out to the parents because you can't see them all the time. And if you're, you're a mother that's like that, and you've got to hover a little bit, you know, when you get into one of those mazes and you can't find your kids, you're just constantly moving as they move to keep up with them. All right. And then you got a bunch of other kids that are there too. And I, I noticed, I was just kind of being observant to, to all that was going on. There was this one particular kid that was there. He, w- he was probably considered the bully of, of the playground. And he was going around pushing kids. He was jumping, you know, when it was time to go down the slide, he'd go all the way up there and he'd jump in line and slide down the slide first. And when one of the kids was on, the, on the, um, the swing, he would go over there and he'd grab the swing and pull it away from him. I, I was just kind of observing kind of how this was kind of going on. I saw one a moment where one of the kids tripped and fell and this kid laughed at him in, in front of everybody. You know, he thought he was the, the cool kid and uh, just kind of going around. And eventually one of our little ones came up to us and, uh, and noticed what I was noticing. And I was trying not to be very obvious, but it was very obvious of what this kid was doing with all these other kids. And one of my kids came up and said, Daddy, he's not being very nice. I said, no, he's not. He's not being very kind. In other words, his philosophy, whether he knew it or not, was the survival of the fittest. That's how he lived his life. It may have been how his family lived their life, and that was the way he was coming out. I'm going to get first. I'm going to to get through. I'm going to barrel through anybody else because it's my toy, my swing, my slide, my feelings, my wants. You know, when we see kids like that, we kind of get a little upset, especially if, you, if it's done to your kid. You say, hold on a second. You can't do that to my, you know, my little junior. All right? You have to treat, and then you kind of come in and be a little bit protective. We all see that. How about when we see those characteristics with adults? How about when some of those characteristics come out in your life? Well, you're, you're pretty judgmental on someone else, but what about when it's your car and they're your children and it's your first in line and, uh, and, and it's, it's your house. This is my yard. He got a neighbor. If anybody steps in his yard, this is my yard. He jumps right out there with some of the neighbor, uh, neighborhood kids and says, off my yard. All right? We, we look at that and we say, that's not someone who is very gentle, and kind. However, if you notice in our world today, there are a lot of people who live out the philosophy of the survival of the fittest. It's all about themselves. I don't care who I barrel over. I don't care who I hurt. It's me and mine. And that's who we're out for. I don't care about anyone else. You see, we live in a culture that is completely lacking in gentleness or kindness. In fact, even in church, we lack this fruit. Being gentle and kind. I'm not talking about in our holy handshake opportunity of in and out of the church. I'm talking about when, when moments can become tense. When vacation Bible school's happening and workers have been here for too many days that they like, okay? 
And it comes to be Thursday and Friday morning and, and, and dealing with irritating kids and the long suffering starts to get shorter and shorter and shorter and all of a sudden this next fruit begins to dwindle and die. Because then all of a sudden the harsh words, me first, I'm ready to get out of here. That was my seat. And all of a sudden, like the little kid in the playground, we've thrown out this fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh start to eat away and start to ooze out of our life again. And all of a sudden we look and we see, instead of a basket of fruit that is fresh and pleasing, all of a sudden there's an environment where there's something rotting. And people are fighting and bickering and divisive. No longer is there long-suffering and patience with irritating people when they get under your skin. But now there's an active unkindness, a harshness that comes out. You struggle with it at home. I've tried to be vulnerable or at least open about some of these fruit. They're, a little, they're harder if you're going to be really honest with yourself. I talked about long-suffering. I'm, I'm not a very patient daddy, and i got to work at it. When you've worked a long day and you come home, that's when you need that long-suffering. Well, that's when my long-suffering has already been long enough, but I need more. Gentleness, kindness, that comes out to be a little harsh, maybe not a little harsh, a lot harsh and unkind. Critical, judgmental, negative. You see, this is a struggle. This fruit is not easy to produce. It's going to take something outside of me to produce that because I don't have any of it. It's not natural to me. It's natural to who I am now in Jesus Christ. And I have to tap into that. And so this fruit of the Spirit, what does this word mean? Let's look at it. I I think I've illustrated, I've given you some basic definitions of this word. But let's look at it from a biblical perspective of this word, gentleness. It's it's the Greek word, charistos. Charistos, it's translated in the New Testament in these words. Good, goodness, kindness, and gentleness. Here, it's translated in the King James as gentleness. Strong gives a definition of this word. It means to properly, to be properly useful. It refers to meeting real needs in God's way, in God's timing. It is the divine producing fruit of goodness that meets the need and avoids human harshness. We actually don't have a, a English word that combines Kind and gentle into one. This would be a combination between good and kind. We have the word here gentle because we we see this as handling something with care or tenderness. But it actually has to do with with a meeting someone's need with a gentle spirit. So it is being kind towards, but it is also without harshness. It's a deed that is being done. That's why some have translated as the word kindness, others with goodness. And here we have it as the word gentleness. 
Thayer says in his definition, he says, it is moral goodness or integrity. Moral excellence. In classical Greek, this word was associated with the moral goodness or excellence of someone's character and later became associated with moral kindness. One person gave a definition. It is to show kindness to someone with the implication of graciousness on the part of the one who's showing kindness. So to manifest the graciousness towards someone, it can mean to provide something beneficial to someone in an act of kindness. So when we come to this characteristic of love in action, it would be love acting concretely and benevolently. It involves doing something kind to someone with a gentle touch. With a, with a goodness behind it. The word was close to the Greek word Christos, which is the word Christ. It's not the same word, but it sounded like that. And so in the early centuries, Christians became known who displayed this characteristic of kindness as being Christ-like. So to be like Christ was someone who was kind. To be unkind meant you were unchristian, unchrist-like. So Christians became known as people who were benevolent and kind towards other people in their dealings with others. So that's how they were Christ-like. Now where do we see this word show up in the New Testament connected in other places, specifically with God? Go to Romans chapter 3. We're just going to do a little bit of a word study, kind of like what we did last week. We're going to follow this word and see how it's translated and used in other places to help us determine what this fruit is. Romans chapter 3 in verse 12. Paul is quoting from Psalm 14 in verse 3 in the context of showing that we're all sinners short of God's glory. Do you see that at the end? Romans 3 in verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in the middle of that argument showing us that we are all sinners, he quotes from Psalm 14 in verse 3 in verse 12 of chapter 3. All of that, please don't get confused. Verse 12 of Romans 3. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth, what's the word? Good. No not one. This word good here is the idea of moral kindness. In other words, Paul is saying with the psalmist, there is no one who is out there morally kind and gentle because all humans in their sinful state are looking out for number one Mr. Me. All right? We've all gone short of the moral excellence of God. Now that doesn't mean that we always only think about us. Sometimes we may think about you know, some others every once in a while. But ultimately, to those who are not of Christ, we are all without Christ. We are all looking out for number one. And because of that, there is none that are morally good. Look, look back one chapter in chapter 2 in verse 4 of Romans. He uses it again. 
He said, nor despisest thou the riches of his, what's the word? Goodness and forbearance. And another word we heard about last week, long-suffering. Not knowing that the, what's the word? Goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. There's the word. What, what, is, what is Paul saying here? In other words, God's goodness, God's kindness to us in how he deals with our sin. How did God deal with our sin? He took all of our sin, not because we deserve it, but, uh, but, uh, but because we don't deserve it. We're, we deserve hell, but he took all of our sin and he put it on Jesus on the cross. That was how good and kind God was. And when God did that, when we look at the goodness and the kindness and the benevolent uh, graciousness of God to act towards us in the way we do not deserve, it leads that person to say, I need to turn from my sin and turn to this gracious and kind God. So the goodness of God, the kindness of God leads people to repentance. That's why you need to show people the goodness and the kindness of God. Yes, that God is just and righteous and holy. That is his heart characteristic. We're going to we see that and have talked about that. But also, he is love. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is kind. He is long-suffering towards us. And that's what Paul is doing. He, he is taking the goodness of God and showing us that it can lead. That gentleness of God actually will lead a lost sheep and show him the goodness and the kindness of a shepherd. Turn over to chapter 11 of Romans. Just in Romans of how Paul is using this. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 22. Interesting context about this. In verse 22, he says... Romans eleven twenty two. Behold, therefore, the what? The goodness and what? Severity. So there you have a hard characteristic of God. When I say a hard characteristic, we're thinking of, of a solid characteristic of God. He is holy. That is, He is truth. He is just. He is righteous. He is severe. That means He's serious. He doesn't look at sin and think about it lightly like we often do. He's serious about, he's severe about his judgment and his holiness. However, connected together is also this soft virtue. He is also kind. He is as equally kind as he is severe. On them which fell, severity, but towards thee, Goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. Now it's interesting in the context of Romans 11. Romans 11 is talking about the focus of this verse on Gentile believers who have been now engrafted into that branch. Remember that? Here's Israel. God gave him the promises. God gave him the covenant. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob gave them David, gave them a covenant through Moses, and he gave them a land, and he did all of this. But when they rejected him, God then moved to pagans, Romans, Scythians, Americans. And when he moved to non-Jews, that was the 
kindness of God to act and, and open up salvation to a people that were not His to make them His and engraft them into that promise. And Paul says, this is a gracious act of the kindness of God to a people who didn't deserve it. They worshipped idols. They were worshipping Apollo. They were worshipping Aphrodite. They were worshipping Zeus. They were worshipping all of that. They had all of these different gods. And now the gospel is open to them. They don't deserve it. But us Jews over here, this is what's going on. Us Jews over here, we, you know, we, we did the sacrifices. We, you know, we had the covenant. We had the name of Jehovah over us. We were God's people. The whole portion, when you get to that, so you say it in that. His heart and desire for Israel is that they would be saved. But because of their rejection, they have turned from that graciousness of God. And God now has moved and opened the door to a people that were not His. To be his. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. You're going to go right after Romans is 1 Corinthians. After 1 Corinthians is 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look in verse 6. There is a list in verse 6 of characteristics. And he says here, um, actually... Uh, Paul is giving a list in, in verse 4 of all these things, approving ourselves as ministers of God. And then he says, in much patience, in affliction, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in turmoils, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, in pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, and by what? Kindness is translated in this passage, in this verse, as the word kindness. By the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. Now what is Paul talking about here? These were spiritual qualities that Paul sought to have while he was doing ministry with the people at Corinth. He's saying, this is how I treated you. This is how I worked in all of these circumstances. Pureness means singleness of heart, singleness of purpose. I kept my goal, I kept my purpose to continue to minister to you even when I had other distractions. I could have gone to another town, could have gone to another church, could have gone to another place. But no, I stayed focused on you to minister to you. That's pureness, that's the singleness of purpose. In knowledge, this is sensitivity of the will of God. In long-suffering, we saw that last week. That's patience to endure the insults. The Corinthian people no doubt called Paul names. And Paul said, I still got up and preached to you. That's long-suffering. Instead of getting angry with you and retaliating. And in kindness. Paul said, I was generous. I was sympathetic. I acted in love. These are the gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit, arrayed in love. This is how Paul tried to treat the Corinthian church. Turn over in the book of Ephesians. We were in Ephesians in a few moments. So you got to skip Galatians and go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 7. Ephesians 2 in verse 7. Where he hath raised us up in verse 6 together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his what? Kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. 
You see, what Paul is saying in these two sentences is the action of Jesus on the cross. His love that demonstrated God's extraordinary grace. He says this exceeding, surpassing richness of the wealth of His grace. So wonderful of this grace. It exceeds our, even our comprehension. Seeing in His kindness to us. You see, this is important because at the beginning of chapter 2, he tells us we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We all walked according to the course of this word. We were all according to the prince of the power of the air. We were all in the spirit of the, of, of the children of disobedience. We were all children of God's wrath. We were enemies. But God, who is rich in mercy. You see that in verse 4? For his great love wherein he loved us. And by the time you get to seven, Paul wants to say, oh, and don't forget, he was kind. He was gentle. He acted benevolently to us. Let's go to two more and then um, we'll wrap it up. Colossians. You want to have to flip through Philippians and land in the book of Colossians chapter 3 in verse 12. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. In this verse, he is talking about putting on the elect of God these characteristics, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, and what's the next word? Kindness. Humbleness of mind, meekness, and then there's another word, long-suffering. We've talked about that one before. In other words, Paul is pouring out that every grace the believer should demonstrate in his daily life. This is how you should act. This is the new man coming out of you. This is part of your DNA that oozes out of your pores every day. It should come out. Holiness, love, beloved, and bowels of mercy, kindness, humility, humbleness, meekness, and long-suffering. This is the type of clothes that Jesus wears. Put them on. So that when you walk out the door of your bedroom, before you even meet your children, you've got the armor of God on. And a piece of that armor, piece of that clothing, is the sweater of gentleness. Um, last verse. Go to the book of Titus. So we're going to skip over Thessalonians and Timothy and we're going to land in the little book of Titus chapter 3 in verse 4. It, well, it, it is verse 3. For we ourselves were, notice that, we were sometime, here's the list, foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving many lusts and pleasures, living in malice, and in envy, and living hateful, and hating one another. That's who I used to be without Jesus Christ. And maybe this evening that's who you are right now. That defines you. Because you don't have Christ. And you don't know what it is to have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and have the Holy Spirit forgive you of your sins and bring into you a new person so that you have new characteristics that come out. Because probably what oozes out of your pores, if you're not a believer, are these characteristics in verse 3. And you're still there. 
I don't know about you, but that's who I used to be. I still struggle with some of these things, but that's not who I am anymore. I'm in verse 4. But, here's the contrast. This is who you used to be. This is who you are now. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. In other words, while we were in our sin, suddenly God appeared and showed us kindness and love. The word appeared here comes in the Greek, means to shine. The RSV actually translate this goodness and loving kindness of God that appeared to us. You see, sinful men desire evil and plan evil. God desires nothing but good and kindness and love for you, but he won't force you. And he has appeared. He has appeared in the form of his son who took upon himself the form of a servant, took a cross and acted kindly towards you. Not because you deserve it, but because he loves you. And then we are called in Ephesians 4 and verse uh, 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And I can't miss over this because this was just a good verse. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. Only because Matthew uses this word as well. Matthew chapter 11. And when I found this in the study, um, it it was sweet. In Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says in verse 28, he says, Come unto me, all you who are are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. Look at verse 30. Here's our word. For my yoke is, what's the word? Easy. That's the same word that we're dealing with tonight. It is kind. In fact, when it was talking about a yoke, the word would be used in the fashion of a, of a neck yoke that was comfortable. They would look for one that wouldn't rub, wouldn't create a rash because it was harsh. You ever, got a, you ever put on a new pair of shoes and they weren't comfortable to you so they rubbed you the wrong way and you got a rash and, or, or you got a blister? Here, Jesus is saying, the yoke that you take from me is kind, gentle. It's translated here as the word easy, but it has the recognition of that it fits. It's not harsh. It's not that, it's, it's, it, 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 that it doesn't it require work. That's what a yoke is. A yoke is put on an oxen so that the oxen can work. But the indication is that the yoke upon that will make the job more bearable. It doesn't chafe. 
What Jesus is saying here is that if you will try and find your own way, you'll make your own way hard and you'll continue to chafe. It'll be harsh. It'll be hard. And you'll get angry and bitter all along the way. Because you'll realize that anything that you try and do, it just messes it up and makes it worse. But if you will stop fighting and you will come to Him and you will find rest, you'll know that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. So, with this as an illustration of these words that we've seen as these to help us understand, it suggests, this word gentleness, suggests an interpersonal connectedness that doesn't rub people harshly. A relationship that doesn't chafe or leave behind painful sores and wounds. So how does this fruit look in our life? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you rub the people in your home the wrong way because you're harsh with your words? You're harsh and unkind with your actions because you think about only you? Try this this week. Give a compliment. Not flattery. That's completely different. Flattery is, I want to butter you up so you'll do something for me. Make you feel good. No. Do a compliment. Try a compliment to others to help brighten their day. Use your words to communicate kindness. Don't be critical. Don't be negative. A rule of thumb in marriage, someone once said, for every negative thing you say or you point out, say three positive things. See if you can do that. When you interact with a stranger on the, side of the, on the sidewalk, do you look at them? Do you greet them or do you look down and walk right past? You know, we live in a rude society. When I was growing up, my mom and dad used to teach us to say yes ma'am and no ma'am and yes sir and no sir and open the door for girls, for ladies. Our society about manners, being kind to one another, it's just, it's just out the door. The way people talk to each other in the street, I tried to open the door for a gentleman at McDonald's and, and, and you would have thought that I had just insulted him. And, and it just, just kind of just looked at me with some kind of... And I was like, I was just trying to let you go first. Interesting, the gentleman was in a wheelchair. And I think he... This, I, I, I was just trying to be kind, open the door. He pushed the hand away, grabbed the door himself, and let himself into the door. All right? He can do it himself. I was just trying to be kind. In other words, make room for someone to sit next to you. Be welcoming to other people that are around you instead of always about you. In your home, seek to show initiative with the chores and the jobs in your house. Instead of pulling the other person down, allow them to go first in the bathroom. Allow them to be first in the meal. Offer to get them a drink. Show kindness and service instead of selfishness. Be willing to forgive and not hold a grudge. Make room for kindness in your, per in your personal life and in your daily life and in your job and in your work. You say, well, they don't deserve it. It's not part of my personality. Listen, it doesn't have anything to do with your personality. 
It has to do with living out the fruit of the Spirit. The story goes, a little, a little lame boy hurried to the passenger gate of the railroad station as fast as, he, as his crutches and his basket of fruit and candy would permit. As the passengers rushed through the gate, a young man accidentally hit the boy and the basket, knocking the fruit and apples in every direction. He stopped only long enough to scold the boy being in his way. Another man who passed by saw the little boy's distress and leaned down and began picking up the fruit and putting it in his basket. He placed it in the basket and handed the basket back to the boy and actually gave him a silver dollar and put it in his hand. And the man said, better luck next time and gave him a smile and walked away. The little boy said, hey mister, are you Jesus? The man said, no, but I am one of his followers. Father, I pray that you would help us today. That we would display this characteristic of gentleness. Kindness that is being benevolent in a fashion that is gentle and good. Just like you are good and kind to us and displayed that goodness to us. Help us to look for areas this week and ways this week that we can show forth your love in benevolent acts. Of kindness and generosity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this evening. God bless you. You are dismissed. Mm-hmm.